0: Amen. You can be seated and we'll dismiss our school-age kiddos to the back. Looks like uh, following Greg and Betsy. While they're doing that, let me invite you to open uh, your Bibles if you brought one with you or your device um, that you have some kind of Bible app on to Acts chapter 8 as we are continuing in our study of the book of Acts. Acts. Uh, We did have a long and uh, packed weekend. Um, I think I'm still recovering a little bit with, uh, we had the marriage seminar Friday night and then the family summit yesterday. Um, It was really all one event spread over two days, but uh, I really think that God did some really incredible things in the lives of uh, marriages and families, at least I pray they did. And... um, And I'm excited about today. I'm excited to have the Claytons uh, in town as well. Um, they have meant so much to me and my family. If you're ever uh, on a weekend trip to, uh, to Dallas and staying over Saturday night, uh, it's a little trip out of Dallas, but not very far. I encourage you to go check out uh, Worship with them. They really are a, uh, you know, a, f- a family of uh, related churches. Uh, we feel so connected to them. Uh, Aaron's the guy that I call whenever you have one of those bad pastoral days. Um, And um, the other pastors on staff with me are tired of hearing me whine and complain. I call Aaron and whine and complain. Um, And he just tells me to get over myself and get back to work. So uh, let me pray for us. And if you'd take just a second where you are to still and calm your heart just a minute. And if you had asked God to speak to you. We serve a God who speaks to us through his Holy Spirit oftentimes from the Word. Father, we admit that we've come into this place um, from many different places. Um, Some of us just weak and weary and just had just a heavy, heavy week. Some of our weeks have been busy, some filled with joy and celebration, some filled with sin, the consequences of it, pain and regret. Uh, And and we've paused just a moment this morning to gather um, with your family, the family of God, and prayerfully to hear from you. So as we open your word today, Father, I pray that it would... uh, the seed of your word would fall on good ground and that it would convict and restore and encourage and all of those things that would lead to life and life abundantly as we apply it. It's in Jesus' name, Amen. If you've been with us, you've been tracking through the book of Acts with us. We started a couple months ago and, um, I love that song we just sang. I think it's, you know, like thematic of the book of Acts. Uh, We want to shout it from the mountains. And that's certainly what these uh, disciples began doing. As Jesus gave them the great commission in Acts 1-8, that they're to go into all of the world, basically, to the very ends of the earth, proclaiming the gospel, that they would be his witnesses. And many times already, they've been locked up and tried to been uh, shut up and um, bound up. They've been... Um, Silenced in every way possible, and their response continues to be, hey, we're not going to shut up about this. Like, this is the life-transforming power of the gospel, and we're not here to please you anyway, so lock us up if you want. Kill us if you must. Like, we're not going to be quiet about this. This has so radically changed our lives that we're not going to be quiet. And the Jesus movement has started. And I feel like, uh, surely they didn't have this song back then, but if if there was a song that like encapsulated um, their hearts, it was this, as they would come together, that they, listen, we're going to shout it from the rooftops and from the mountains, that the God of the Bible, the creator God of the universe, he is God, and not only is he God, but he loves us to the extent that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, to purchase salvation for us, so that we might have eternal life later, but abundant life now, and in the last couple sermons uh, before Easter, we talked about this guy, Stephen, one of the first deacons. He's introduced to us. He's also arrested. He's also put on trial. This is also his theme. I'm not going to be quiet about the power of God through the person of Jesus. And they kill him by stoning. And that is what, uh, where we begin kind of this passage today in Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to the person of Saul, and he will be a main character through the rest of the book of Acts. Name would be later changed to Paul. We'll talk about that more next week. But he's there approving of the execution of Stephen. And because of the great persecution that arises, the church in Jerusalem literally begins to spread. Look at verse uh, 4 with me of Acts chapter 8. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, we're introduced to him in chapter 6. He's also one of those deacons. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. I love that. We're going to come back to that. Proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs that he did... For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And there was so much joy in that city. To give you a little context, through the book of Acts, this is the first time we literally see uh, the church becoming a missional church. Meaning that they're taking the mission of God beyond the walls of their own city. We see in this passage because of the persecution that is arising the first time they're really fulfilling Acts 1-8, this great commission, remind you of what it says, that you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. For the first seven chapters, we really see only the gospel around the city of Jerusalem. Now the the gospel is spreading outside the walls, maybe a little bit, but it's only because people are coming to Jerusalem to hear it the people who had come from Passover and experienced this day of Pentecost, if they heard the gospel in their own language. If it's trickling out of Jerusalem, it's trickling only that way as these people began to go home. But as persecution begins to start and the people begin to spread, it says in verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And what I want to look here is three marks of this mission of the first missional church three marks of that mission and how it leads us to be a missional church that they were ordinary that it was incarnational and it was supernatural i think this also gives us a passage uh, in this passage gives us a pattern for reaching our city first that it was ordinary Luke makes the point for the first time this gospel is leaving Jerusalem, and the apostles were not its carriers. In verse 1, it says that they're all scattered throughout all of the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Now, we don't know exactly what the apostles, uh, why they stayed necessarily. Maybe they were the, uh, the organizing force of, of some of this. Uh, maybe they stayed to continue to pray. For some reason, they stayed, and Luke wants us to know that they stayed. But the gospel didn't stay. The gospel began to spread. And Luke includes that detail. Again, we don't know exactly all, all the reasons, but we do know that it was... The ordinary people of the church, and when I say ordinary, I'm not trying to d- dismiss them in any way. I'm saying that it wasn't the apostles. The gospel spread just through the people of the church. The first time the gospel expanded beyond Jerusalem, is carried by the mouths of normal people, not the apostles. And I believe this is the Holy Spirit's sign for how the Great Commission will ultimately be accomplished. And I'm afraid already you may be sick of hearing this because I've made this point multiple times already and will continue to make it because it's made so much through the book of Acts. The church grows not by the preaching of a few anointed apostles, but when every believer is filled with the Spirit and testifies to the gospel in their own context. If the gospel only traveled through seminary trained professionals or appointed clergy Or designated nominated leaders. We would never reach the world. And the gospel rarely ever spread that way. Sometimes God takes you into these places through a divine call. Speaking of your context. All of you have a context. You have a place where you work. You have a normal stream of life that you operate in. You've got the normal places that you stop to visit. You've got the people that you know. You've got your extended family and your networks and you've got your neighbors that live around you you we all have our own context and God wants to use you as a vessel of preaching the gospel in your own context sometimes you feel a call to move to a certain city enter a certain career field, move into a specific neighborhood. We've seen this in our church. People sell their homes and move into other neighborhoods where the gospel is desperately needed. And sometimes they coordinate with other families in our church. Like, let's move on the same street, and together we're going to reach our street, our new context for the kingdom of God through proclamation and declaration of the gospel. In this case, they left because of persecution. Persecution. In your case, it might just simply be where your job takes you, where the Holy Spirit is leading you. It was an ordinary movement of ordinary people. It was organic it was spread in an organic non-systematic way as long as far as we know the disciples didn't have a whiteboard and as the persecution started and the church is going to scatter that they're gathering these thousands of people that have joined the Jesus movement and say hey listen okay I want you to go to Samaria and you know I want you to go to the outskirts of Galilee and I and I I want you to go to um to, to Africa no they they it was just an organic spreading of the gospel and that's how the gospel still spreads. I don't end the service by telling you where to take the gospel. There's, there's not some kind of exhortation class after this one where we have a whiteboard and we say, you know what, I think you would just be so fit for this and send you there. No, we are a sent people. And that's what marks our lives. And as we leave, as it speaks in scripture, that we take the gospel and what well, we are, these broken vessels, and the gospel just leaks everywhere that we go. It's why Jesus could send the disciples out and say, I want you to go and proclaim that the kingdom of God is not far from you because he is sending you there. How does Jesus build the church? Was it his winsome sermons or the winsome sermons of Peter? No, we've read those. They're not very winsome. They're actually pretty short, but they're so powerful because the power of God's behind them. Jesus himself didn't really grow the church very big in his first three years of ministry. It didn't really start growing until after he left. The church didn't grow through church buildings, most of them met in homes. It didn't grow through talented musicians. Paul preached so long that sometimes people fell asleep and actually died from falling asleep. That's actually in scripture, we'll get to that. It wasn't their doctrinal purity. Paul's writing these letters to the church at Corinth they say pulling pulling what little hair he has left out saying what are you doing how can you allow such things in your church it wasn't the doctrinal purity it wasn't the winsomeness of its leaders it grew through transformational relationships of ordinary people who were so convinced that this really was the good news of Jesus and they were empowered by the holy spirit If anything, it spread like wildfire, led by some hard-headed fishermen and some forgiven women, using their network of relationships to fish for men. The movement was ordinary. We've talked and dreamt about for many, many years that we would have a gospel presence in every neighborhood in Shreveport and Bossier, Blanchard and Haughton. That's what I would love to see as a pastor. I would love to see a community group birthed that would be within, you know, a mile or so of every neighborhood in our city so that people don't have to go looking far for the kingdom of God because it's just all around them. This is why we plant new churches and that we are dedicated to planting new churches because we want to see the gospel spread Not only was it ordinary, but it was incarnational. When I say that word incarnational, I just mean that it was in the flesh. It says in verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. The gospel was carried by people. There was no billboards rented out on the road to Jerusalem or out of Jerusalem with the gospel. No people. Ordinary people carried this in the flesh. It wasn't this message without a messenger. And they did it through word and deed. This passage tells us that Philip's ministry was one of word and deed. In verse 6, it says that the people heard him. It also says that they saw the signs he did. In verse 7, it says the lame were healed and the demons were cast out. There's this spiritual deliverance and a physical deliverance. And a true witness always involves both. This demonstrating and declaring the gospel. First, the word. The preaching of the word. The gospel in itself is an announcement of good news. Evangelism in the early church was just a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city to bring joy to it through word and deed. Let me read that uh, definition again. Speaking of evangelism in the book of Acts. Evangelism in the early church was just a group of ordinary Christians living intentionally in a city to bring joy to it through word and deed. Up to this point, Acts shows us that every follower of Jesus began to evangelize, to talk about the gospel everywhere they went. In verse 4, it says that Those that were scattered, we know those that were scattered, verse 1 tells us they were all scattered except for the apostles. Those that were scattered went about preaching the word. It uses the word preach. That's also the word in Greek for the word evangelize. At this point, every Christian moved from being a consumer only to being a provider of ministry. Now this kind of flips maybe the way that church has been done or the way that you've experienced church done. That the church was a place that you went to for ministry. And certainly we do have ministry going on here. But you've probably noticed that th- this isn't our building. Like if you come here tomorrow, none of us are necessarily going to be here, I guess, unless you go to school here. You're not going to make an appointment at the office down there to come and see us here. This, and, I, and I like that because it's inherent that the church is not a location with a marquee set out front. The church is the very people of God. And here we have this switch from, 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 uh, from people being consumers to people being provider of ministry, that they're bringing the ministry, the good news of Jesus, they're meeting needs. Every Christian began to take the life-changing truth of the gospel, and they began to preach it. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on the word preach. That doesn't mean stand in front of large gatherings. That doesn't mean maybe call attention in lunch hour at work tomorrow. And preach from a top a table. Now if the spirit leads you to do that, do that, and get somebody to send me a picture, because I'd like to see it. But that's not what this necessarily means. It just means to share it, share it, to communicate it, for it to be on your lips. Don't miss this. All of us are evangelizing something and it kind of comes in waves and social media kind of helps it with, with our hashtags we're all we're all evangelizing something we're all evangelists declaring to the world what we believe to be the most beautiful and glorious thing it's masters weekend i've been evangelizing about the masters i've been grumbling under my breath that we had parent summit weekend on masters weekend i don't know how that missed i don't know how we missed that in planning I've been such an evangelist for it that my kids are excited about it. They don't even know how, how you keep scoring golf. They have no idea. But they're sitting down on the couch with me last night saying, Dad, who's winning the Masters? They know the people that are playing, that are in contention, because I've been such an... We're all an evangelist for something. Maybe, maybe you're one of those CrossFitters. Maybe you just love this stuff, right? This is like a way of life. Taking pictures with your shirts off, sending it to everyone. You know, though, you, know, you might be one. Hey, if I look like that, I would probably be too. I just, I'm just not strong enough. We're all evangelizing something, and you know this, because it's the thing that you're most passionate about, the thing that you believe to be beautiful, the thing that, that, that you're enthralled with at the moment. We're telling everyone about it. To see what people view as the most glorious and beautiful thing, just listen to what they talk about. We're all evangelists for something. Those illustrations might sound silly, but it's really the truth for Christians. And it's not bad that we're passionate about other things, but Christ should be the supreme thing. That's what we see in the book of Acts. This is not, this is not some pastor berating the church, hey, I want you to leave here and go talk about Jesus. No, these people are like, listen, kill us if you have to. We're not shutting up about this. Our lives have been so radically changed by Jesus that we can 't help but share it i don't know i don 't know where the divide has happened that pastors have to guilt the church into Talking to someone about Jesus, this should just be so natural for us. Because if we're changed by the power and gospel of Jesus, if we've been changed to that level, we should get so passionate about it. Again, this doesn't have to look crazy. I'm asking you to be faithfully engaged in those people that are around you, pointing them to Jesus. And certainly pray for discernment and ask for the Holy Spirit to prompt you when when it's the right time and the right place to bring this up. I'm asking you to care about the fruitfulness and flourishing of those around you. We talked a lot about this at Parent Summit yesterday, meaning your kids, but it's far greater than that. Everywhere that you go. And notice here the gospel just doesn't come through word, but it comes through word and it comes through deed and it even comes through community. Let me talk about the other two real quick. The gospel comes in word, but it comes in deed. Again in verse six and in verse seven, it calls the deeds that Philip did signs. That these unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. These were signs that were pointing to something. When I was finishing up my um, schooling in Dallas, we moved over there for a while, and uh, when people would ask, where are you from, I would say, well, I'm from, I'm from Shreveport. And they would kind of grin a little bit, and they're like, oh, the casinos, huh? That's what everyone said, oh, the casinos. And I just didn't understand. I was like, well, yeah, we have casinos there, but it's not like the thing of the city. And then when I got on the interstate just a few months after being there, um, all the signs of billboards that said Shreveport were advertisements for the casinos. And so people just related the two together. Like the only reason I would ever go there would be, you know, for, for the casinos. They also called crawfish crayfish and they thought everyone had alligators in their backyard, literally. But signs point to something, right? The signs that... Philip is doing is pointing to the kingdom of God. And I don't want us to get distracted by the miraculous nature of this, because it's not just the miraculous signs that we're talking about here. The miracles pointed to the gospel. They gave tangible expression to Jesus's physical kingdom. His kingdom was one of healing and sight and abundance, not just magic tricks. Miracles in the Bible didn't just show the supernatural fact that Jesus was powerful, but it pointed to his redemptive purposes. As we read through the book of Acts, it's not just the supernatural. Now, it is that way sometimes, but we are introduced to this uh, lady named Tabitha in Acts chapter 9. And it says of her that she was full of good works and acts of charity. This is, this is the deeds that it's speaking of, that the, the nature of the gospel came with it declaration and demonstration. It came with it in word and it came in deed. James, Jesus' half-brother, would later say in the book titled by his own name, that true religion will lead us to meeting, tangi- meeting very tangible needs in our community. He gives the illustration of widows and orphans. And I've seen churches organize the whole expression of the deeds of the gospel at work with just widows and orphans. And that's certainly part of it. But that was not an exhaustive list. He's just kind of making the point that faith that does not express itself in some kind of work and deed and meeting real needs is a dead and fake faith. The gospel came with word and it came with deed. Jesus would talk about giving cups of cold water out in his name. The places where we see the fabric of society breaking down because of sin. God has sent the church there. And again, not the church as a building. Like the elders of this church are meeting together and saying, how are we going to solve every one of these needs? No, he has sent you there. And he's given you the sensitivity to the leading of his spirit as he prompts in your heart to actually meet physical needs. Why would anyone listen to our words if we aren't living radically changed life? If my life looks the exact same as my neighbor who does not know Jesus, then my words fall on deaf ears. The reason Christianity spread like wildfire in the first century was not because they didn't do anything, but they just preached good sermons. No, it's because these people were so radically changed. That even the Caesars to follow, the leaders of Rome, had so much question and mystery about this church because they just did these radically different things. They just loved people well without an agenda. There was no calling the church and saying, hey, would the leadership of the church send someone? No, they understood that they were the very hands and feet of Christ. But not just word and not just deed. We see also this idea of community forming, this Jesus movement. And again, this starts way back in Acts 2 when the church is selling all their possessions and giving to those that have need. They're they're meeting needs. This is the organization of the deacons to help meet needs of the community. If you go on and read, and we don't have time today, but in the book of Acts, it says in verse 12... That when these Samaritans believed, it says in verse twelve. but when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. This has been the sign, the ordinance given by Jesus to the church of what it means to become part of his family. Again, this is a new community forming. Nobody in this day just believed it says that they were they believed and were baptized that was the message the apostles preached to believe and be baptized Bapti- baptism is this physical display of this inward reality of what's actually happening when a person gives his heart and life to Christ baptism's not private it's public it's not individual it's communal in baptism, you're making a promise to follow Jesus as Lord. You're identifying the church. You're asking for accountability for all the other people who are part of the church. I love in early church architecture that the baptistry was actually over the doors of entrance into the church as to express by physical symbol that you enter the church through Baptism. Now, before we start thinking that baptism equates with salvation, it certainly doesn't. Even in the book of Acts, we have this illustration of this guy named Simon who didn't get it. It says in verse 9, again, I don't have this on the screen, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. And he supposedly comes to Christ at some point. In verse 18, it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying to the apostles, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Evidently, that there are gonna be people in the church who claim identity with Christ, who fall into or decide to be baptized, come through the church, through the baptismal waters, but have no inward change in their heart and life. And that certainly is a possibility. But nevertheless, this community is being formed as the gospel goes forth. And we could talk about the uh, racial reconciliation here, which was unbelievable. Peter actually went to Samaria And Jews hated Samaria, and some of it for, you know, maybe reasons that we could understand. The Samaritans hated the Jews. As a matter of fact, on multiple uh, accounts, before Passover, they would take pigs, the Samaritans would. They would take pigs, and they would run them through the temple just to irritate the Jews, who thought that the pigs were unclean and could not even touch them. And here's Philip just choosing where he's going to go. And he said, you know what? I'm going to pick Samaria. There's this racial reconciliation part of this community. There's so much more we could talk about. Let me, because of time, just move. In verse 7, it says that all of this led to joy. In verse 7, bringing joy. Joy. Verse 8, sorry, and there was so much joy in that city. We talked about this a lot before we planted Covenant Church. In our early days, it was a phrase that really convicted us as a church. Was there going to be much joy in our city because of our presence? Would anyone weep over our death if we were gone? Would we even be missed if we ceased to be a church? Is the kingdom of God more tangible because we are here? Are we bringing joy to the city? Maybe you would make this even more personal to you. Is your neighborhood, does there, in your neighborhood, does there exist more joy because you live there? And not you and your just uh, winsome attitude and personality or hosting abilities, but because the kingdom of God resides. that You're a gospel outpost in your home. Proverbs 11.10 says, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Church, how can we live in such a a way that as we prosper, the whole city rejoices? Maybe you'd ask that of your community group. Because you meet and are organized, made up of families that love and adore Jesus, does, does the neighborhood, is it, Is it getting better? Is it abounding with joy? Would you be terribly missed if you ceased to meet there? Are you working, partnering with God to bring the kingdom of God to your neighborhood, to your place of work, to your context? Is there more joy there because of your efforts? The third thing, let me get through quickly, is the gospel came Supernaturally. Through ordinary people, carried by those people incarnationally, and then it came supernaturally. I don't think I should probably have to remind us of this, but there's a pretty powerful aspect to this. In chapter 1, verse 8, again, it says that you will receive power. Paul would explain it as the very powers we talked about last week that roast Christ from the dead is alive and at work in you. Jesus would say of the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's, hey, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come. Church, the Spirit's power is amazing when you yield to it, when you don't fight against it. It's amazing when you yield to it. Jesus promised that he had put words in your mouth when you needed them. He said of John the Baptist, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. That's a pretty bold statement. Why is that even possible? Because you have the Holy Spirit living and residing in you, and he's active and he's speaking. God wants to use you. He's gifted you with supernatural gifts and supernatural power to accomplish his mission. You're not doing this in your own power. The book ends with, and I encourage you to read it. I I apologize we don't have time to go through every part of it. It ends with this, Really cool story of after this happens and these villages coming, the apostles uh, actually come to visit to see if this is like legit thing happening in Samaria. Maybe even they had doubts. And Let me just read it again. I don't think I have this on the screen, but in, in verse 26 of chapter 8, an angel said to the, uh, of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, And just in case you think that that's a sexy location, it says next, this is a desert place. We see this obedience, and he arose and went, and there was this Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and because of the persecution, he's had to leave as well, and he's returning, seated in his chariot, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, We don't know exactly how the Spirit said this to Philip. But the Spirit communicates to Philip and says, I want you to go over to that chariot. And This conversation happens. He's saying, how can I understand the scripture? He's reading from Isaiah. How can I understand this unless someone explains it to me? Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about someone else? And Philip begins to explain to him the very gospel. No, that's talking about Jesus Christ himself. But the Spirit said to Philip, One of the things you see in the book of Acts is that the Holy Spirit speaks to people, moving them into mission. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 59 times in the book of Acts, and in 40 of those times, he's actually speaking to people. Here it says, the Spirit said to Philip, in Acts chapter 10, verse 19, Spirit said to Peter, go down and talk to these men, don't be afraid. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit said to the church, separate from me Barnabas and Paul for the ministry I have for them. On and on we could go. The Spirit speaking to people, leading them into mission. My question for you is, do you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you? Are you aware of him speaking to you? And what is he saying exactly? Sometimes in Acts, he speaks through a word of prophecy, through someone else in the church. Sometimes a divine vision. Sometimes even here through the word of God itself. Sometimes it seems to be just a divine yearning that God puts in someone's heart. Like maybe what took Philip to Samaria in the first place. Again, my question, are you aware of the Holy Spirit when he's speaking to you? When's the last time that you had some sort of sense that he's sending you somewhere? This happens a lot in my life, and I, and I hate to even use this illustration because I don't want you to think that, um, that I'm cold to this. I do believe that there's wisdom in the abundance of counselors. But most of the calls that I get from people who want some counsel is, there, is, is they want me to be the Holy Spirit for them. I got two options on the table here, Luke. Which one do you think I should take? And I would like, well, this, I man, I don't know. I mean I can weigh the pros and cons with you and we can talk about it. And I think there's benefit in that. But the Holy Spirit is actually wants to lead us and guide us. When's the last time again you had a sense that he was sending you to a certain place or calling you to something or putting something into your heart to say to someone else? Church, don't ignore the promptings of the Spirit. And sometimes they cause you to do really weird things and difficult things. Now, the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit is he's always testifying in your heart that you're a son or daughter of God. He's working your identity. He's he's pointing you to Jesus. He's leading you to truth, John 14 talks about this is the ordinary work of the Spirit in our lives all the time. He's actually interceding for you. He's, he's praying things for you that you don't know you should even be praying. This is, this is always going on. But there are certain times, certainly in the book of Acts, and certainly in our own life and experience that the Holy Spirit kind of creeps in in a very supernatural way and specifically tells us to do something. Some people are really good at hearing this. Or maybe they're really bold in obedience and it's why the Holy Spirit talks to them this way. I was with a friend not too long ago who the Holy Spirit just speaks to him. And I've been with him in unique situations where he got some kind of word of knowledge about something that's going on in someone else's life. And I'm the nervous pastor at the table when the waitress walks up and it's a John chapter 4 kind of experience and I remember one time I was with him in a restaurant and a guy walked up and uh, my friend led with, um, hey, man, why are you having an affair? And I was like, dude, what? What, what are we just like like guessing here? The Lord's the spirit had led him to know this and he speaks this out and the guy refutes it and then eventually he breaks down and admits that this is what's going on and there's this long process and I just went there to eat chicken fried steak man that's all i wanted to do the guy's literally on his knees at the table while while we're trying to eat just weeping sometimes the holy spirit does those things and he's looking for people who are, will respond in obedience even though it's difficult The Spirit spoke to Philip and says, I want you to go down to Gaza. And Gaza was like this nasty city filled with the Philistines. We know it's a desert place. And more than that, this was not just a conversation around a table. He had to walk 165 miles to get to this place. But he was willing and obedient. And because of that, the whole continent of Africa became a Christian hub early on. If you're a believer this morning and not living on mission, the most probable reason is that you're not listening to the Spirit. Because the Spirit is sending us out. It's like a cyclone. We're being drawn in. We're being blessed and confirmed that we're sons and daughters of God, and then we're being radically sent out. And I believe he's working right now. He doesn't need to speak to me on your behalf. And he's done that a few times. I wish I could say that I was always as obedient as Philip is here. But he's speaking to you. Are you listening? Are you listening to where the Holy Spirit is leading you? How would Philip have ever known about this? hundred miles away just so just so happens he's reading isaiah and looking for someone to interpret it oh look there's philip it's pretty cool if you read it after he baptizes him he comes up and he just kind of disappears i think that's why it's my favorite part as a kid like just praying for that to happen to me at some point just you know do something for the lord and i wake up and i'm in southern california that would just be amazing right I want to pray for us and I want to invite you to take a step of faith that God's leading you to this morning. Whatever that might be. Maybe you've got some secret sins you've hidden away and it's time to repent and confess of those things and come right. Maybe there's something between you and another believer in this room and it's just been festering. Scripture says, man, just you know, leave your gift at the altar, man, and go, go restore that relationship. Don't you know there's room for that here? Maybe it's A specific sending. Maybe God's been stirring in your heart to leave a neighborhood and move to another one, or to invite your neighbor next door over for coffee, or to a meal, or host a block party in your front yard. Or maybe it's a a word of encouragement that He wants you to speak at work tomorrow. There's just someone going through this difficulty. Maybe it's this act of caring that you're going to bring a meal or cookies to someone. And God's been stirring in your heart, and you've been resisting and ignoring because, man, what if it just makes you look stupid? None of us know what's on the other side of the prompting. We just don't know. And it's not our power that's going to accomplish it, it's what the Spirit is doing. We're going to have communion in just a little bit. And I don't want you to rush through your praying and whatever you need to do, but our communion servers will be here. This again is this physical representation of this inward reality that we are in Christ, that we have nothing to fear and nothing to prove. This is not us performing. This is not us doing the great commission for God. This is God working through us to accomplish it. When you come, I pray that you're reminded once again, you're brought in, you're reminded your son or daughter of the King of the universe, your salvation purchased through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then you'll also be reminded as we leave here that we are a sent people, brought radically in and sent radically out. Let me pray for us. You do what God puts on your heart. God, thank you for uh, the gift of your word. For this incredible illustration we have in your servant, Philip, who was willing to First, go to the Samaritans and then willing to go even further to Gaza, no matter what it cost him or when you sent him. He had no idea what was on the other end of the prompting. He was willing to go, willing to say yes to your promptings. And God, I pray for our church. Lord, you know my heart, you know our heart and leadership. We're not here just to grow a big church some big building with thousands of people. And if God, you bring that many people to the kingdom through Covenant Church, we would be blown away. But that's not why we're here. Lord, we want to be an expression of your family to the city by being disciples of you and making disciples that make disciples that make disciples so that there would be much joy in the city. And not just our city, but the cities that surround us. And even cities that are far off, as we have people that want to go start new churches and, uh, and move maybe even overseas to start new works in unreached countries. of People that have never heard the gospel. Lord, stir something like that in us. You've done way too much for us and given us way too much power through your spirit for us just to be just typical Americans that go and like check off the box on a Sunday morning. Or would you radically change us from the inside out? Would you convict us of apathy and mediocrity, a lack of expectancy and awe of what you want to do through us? Lord, maybe there's whole people groups that will know you because we said yes to the prompting of your spirit. Lord, forgive us for where we've ignored ignored those promptings. Forgive us for where we've disregarded and disobeyed. And Father, speak to us again. We ask, I plead for you to continue to speak to us. Lord, do something in our day that we could never explain. Do something in our teenagers that are in here that we we could never orchestrate. book of Acts, and I pray, Father, that you would do it again. Lord, I want to be a part of it. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your incredible love for us. As we take communion, may we be remembered that you died for us so that we could have lives of abundance. we could participate in this great redemption project. It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with me. Our communion servers are here. Take as much time as you need. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. This is an open communion. We do ask that you would... Uh, Take some time to clear your conscience, confess anything, sin that you need to. And then when you're ready, they're ready.